How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to 19-Year-Old Shrink. This is Will John Grande. Hope you're all hanging in there during these crazy times. Today, we have a very special guest with us, my roommate from last year, Will Zimmerman. We were both in Whalen Hall. Wasn't any Delray South or North, but hey, it was a good time. It's great to be here, and I think Whalen is honestly probably the most superior freshman dorm at LMU. George is the best RA we could have ever had. <laughs> Board games with George, always a good time. Um, so yeah, I brought Will today. Uh, he's got a lot of valuable things to share with us. He's actually a screenwriting major here at LMU, um, and I'm really looking forward to having this talk with him because in writing, there is a lot of psychology that is involved with it. So hearing his perspective will definitely be an interesting take on what we have to talk about. So thanks for joining the show, Will. Thanks for having me. All right. So I know you grew up in New Hampshire, Will. So can you just tell us a little bit about your family, where you're from? Yeah. So I was born in Philadelphia, but then moved to New Hampshire when I was about three. So basically all I can remember is uh, living in New Hampshire and then obviously my experience in L.A. here. But New Hampshire, it was very different from Los Angeles, but it, I really liked it a lot. It was a great place to grow up because I got all four seasons. I was able to kind of explore everything there, there is to do in the summer, like going to the beach and that kind of stuff. And then in the winter, I got to ski and snowboard and all of that kind of stuff. My father is an ENT doctor and my mom is a kindergarten teacher. So they were very involved in the community. So... Thankfully, I was able to know a lot of uh, other parents and meet other kids uh, through them. And I went to the public Bedford school system because uh, I was in Bedford, New Hampshire. So I went there my whole school career. So basically from kindergarten up through senior year, I, I knew all the same people and uh, kind of grew like a family with all of them. So it made senior year pretty emotional, but pretty awesome too. kind of a big celebration of our entire childhood is what it felt like kind of. Yeah, I, I had the same same experience with my friends from back home. And you said, like my mom, as you know, like she's a she was a teacher, like kindergarten through second grade. And you said your dad's a doctor. How's he been dealing with the COVID transitioning into this type of life? Like how's he adjusted to his practice? Well, at first, when COVID first hit, it was actually kind of a break for him because he got he had fewer patients a day and he got to stay home a little more. But over time, obviously, uh it didn't get better as quick as we all imagined it would. So he um, basically has kind of half capacity, but he has to obviously wear, the, wear two masks and do all the safety protection stuff, which he says kind of is pretty bothersome when you're doing surgery or you're just in there with someone trying to get to know what a problem is. And he's, he really hopes it returns back to normal sooner rather than later. And how have you been dealing with COVID? How was it like early on versus now? How have you kind of adjusted? Earlier on in COVID, uh, it was pretty rough because I had some momentum going on. Will, you're in the same situation. We were halfway through our spring semester and it kind of just stopped really abruptly. So we were just having fun in spring semester. And then suddenly we were like alone in our houses for like two months, just watching TV and doing a lot of monotonous stuff. And then as the, as the year got on, luckily I'm... Um, able to come out to LA and uh, have an apartment out here. So it's it's pretty nice having friends around and being able to socialize, but not not even close to the same extent as before COVID. So it's definitely a very different lifestyle. And uh, I'm, I'm learning to deal with it a lot better than uh, 
the first couple months. I, I feel like so many people are just learning how to get creative with this situation because it's it's not easy to deal with. Like the one of the things I miss most just about like we used to like run into each other on campus all the time. We'd run into people all the time. I like miss just having those types of conversations. Everything's kind of planned right now, but again, I feel like what's cool about this situation is that everyone's figuring things out and getting creative with their lives and like following through and keep on going. So that's good to hear. And uh, if I could add something, yeah, that, I feel like um, after the situation, when we return to life in a way where you could just approach someone randomly and have like a small little conversation with them, I feel like a lot of people are going to be more appreciative and it's going to like make it make it a way more positive experience to be out and like socializing because people are actually like gonna want to be there for the right reasons i feel like because before a lot of people hadn't had really an experience to cut them off from social life and i think that a lot of people have done some like self-discovery of what like they appreciate in people during this time and i feel like it's gonna make it much better after uh corona's over yeah exactly and i know obviously you're still taking classes i'm still taking classes so let's like hop into your screenwriting. How have it, how's it been taking your screenwriting classes online? It's been honestly not too bad because compared to production, they have to like, you know, work around all the equipment and stuff and production majors kind of have to be on set and working with cameras and all that. But screenwriters, we just write scripts on our computer. So honestly, it's pretty much the same, except before we all like kind of sat in the same room and we would bounce ideas off each other and it felt a lot more organic than doing it over the computer but even over the computer it's the same kind of thing so I would say obviously it's different and I'd like it to return to how it was but it, it isn't the worst hit major I'd say in the school yeah I feel like definitely like with my major in psychology and you in screenwriting we were at least lucky enough that we can still be able to do it online so like what can you walk me back what got you interested in screenwriting yeah so ever since I was in elementary school, I like, oh, I didn't like, I love telling stories. And like, even in preschool, I would tell stories about dragons that would like give kids <laughs> nightmares and the teachers would complain to my parents and that <laughs> kind of stuff. But yeah, I'd write like comic books and stuff. And then I would write books all through elementary school. And then kind of when I hit high school, there was a film program and I was just like, it'd be fun to take a film class. So I decided to take it. And it ended up being really fun, so I decided to do another one, and I ended up going through all the way through the school's film program, and I was in the Film Honor Society, and I kind of convinced all my friends to uh, take the class with me, so I had my pretty much my core group of friends all working in the same kind of films, and we made some really, uh, what we thought were really funny films, but from an outsider perspective, seemed pretty stupid at this point, but they're on YouTube, uh, Woke Folk Productions, if you want to look that up, but... Yeah, I started um, working every position kind of on those films, but I gravitated towards uh, writing them the most because I just thought the creativity that went behind just coming up with the idea of what people are going to see was really fun. Basically, I, I like thinking of something and imagining how it looked and then the idea of it like coming together through a lot of work and then just seeing how it actually looks and comparing it to my original vision. And oftentimes in high school... Uh, it, it wasn't too different from the original vision, which was pretty awesome. But uh, in, in the real industry, obviously, they go through a lot of edits, so it's a little bit different. But still, just the core idea of telling stories and uh, thinking of something and then watching it on screen at the end, just seeing an end product is really rewarding to me. Definitely, yeah. 
we were just talking before, like it seems like you don't really have too many restrictions when it comes to screenwriting. I feel like you can be really free with stuff and kind of make whatever stories you want, which is which is awesome to hear because like not every major is like that. You kind of have to live in like the restraints of whatever their policies are, but it's it's so nice to hear like you can just write whatever stories you want. And was there like a specific movie or story that that really got you interested into screenwriting? Um, I've been thinking about this question recently because when I first signed up to the school, there wasn't like one specific movie, but I'm definitely looking back at my childhood. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies were Great some movie. of my favorites, and those definitely inspired me. Same with like National Treasure. And then basically just as I got older, I would just have kind of like a favorite movie every year. I really liked the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then uh, I liked Quentin Tarantino movies really in like the middle of high school. I thought those were really cool. And then... Um, Recently, I've been kind of on a comedy kick. I've been watching a lot of uh, Kirby Enthusiasm, which is kind of ironic because they don't even have a written script for that show. It's all in kind of in the moment improv. Yeah, that's uh, I'm a big, as you know, I'm a big Seinfeld guy. I think actually Kirby is funnier than Seinfeld because it's just it's just a bunch of crazy doing every day and he's getting people mad at him. You seen the reunion season? No, I haven't. It's good. You should watch it. Seinfeld. Season 10? I think it's 10, but yeah, yeah, they get the whole Seinfeld cast back, and it's, and it's in Curb still. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because they make, like, cameos in it, but uh, no, I haven't seen that yet. So let's jump into one of your stories now, S'mores. So could you just tell us a little bit about the characters and also the events of the story? Yeah, so um, S'mores is, I, I would kind of characterize it as a, like, a late teen kind of coming-of-age comedy. It's about a group of friends right out of high school. There's two weeks before college, so they've known each other for their whole lives. It's kind of inspired by the group of friends I was talking about before that I made uh, movies with in high school. But I feel like it can be applied to a lot of people's friend groups from high school. But basically, it's two weeks before college. They're about to like leave and separate different colleges all over the country. And they decide to go on a camping trip. And the main character, Jim Wang, he's kind of a prankster. And he, he's never uh, really been too uh appropriate with other people he's been he's he's been a jokester his whole life so he, he kind of needs to turn around before college so that's kind of going to be the main arc of the story but there's also other characters that i'll go into in a second but basically they go on this camping trip they celebrate a little bit have a couple drinks and then jim's pulling one of his pranks and he jumps into the river in the middle of the night it's called like the Swiftwater river runs right through the campsite and the river basically carries Jim all the way down to this crazy park ranger named Brutus, who um, basically doesn't let him escape. In the entire movie, Jim is basically trying to get away from this crazy park ranger that... He's a beast, right? Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't turn out to be uh, an actual park ranger. Kind of just some random lunatic impersonating a park ranger. Um, but Jim finds out more about Brutus as the story goes along. And Brutus finds out more about Jim... Basically, in the end, uh, they both end up having character revelations that change their lives forever. And then, along with Jim, he has four best friends in the story. Um, their names are Arjun, Benny, Chris, and Gordon. And basically, they're all kind of different character archetypes, but they all kind of have pretty different personalities. And as soon as Jim disappears down the river... Gordon and Chris separate, and Benny and Arjun separate also. So 
Benny and Arjun are following the river, trying to track Jim down that way. And then Chris and Gordon are going up a mountain, trying to get a aerial kind of view, see if there's any sign of their friend. And Gordon and uh, Chris are basically, uh, Gordon's pretty obese and he's kind of clumsy. He's kind of overly nice, so he can get pushed around a little bit. And Chris is, uh, I, I have him as like a wannabe Tupac. He's kind of <laughs> really uh, aggressive, even though he's pretty soft. And he wouldn't actually do anything um, too crazy because he doesn't really fit the personality that he portrays. But basically, um, Gordon gets pushed around by Chris the whole movie. And Gordon's the one that ends up uh, making a bigger difference than Chris in the end. I have a similar character uh, situation with Arjun and Benny. Benny acts like he's like hot the whole time, and Arjun is like very introverted, like he barely says a word. But in the end, Arjun ends up contributing more to saving Jim than uh, Benny does. But in the end, like they're all forgiven. Like the other two aren't like cast away for their differences. Jim actually he pr- gives him props for admitting their uh, admitting their character flaws, which is kind of the first step in a uh, changing into someone better and then brutus he is like a six seven giant behemoth dude huge muscles he's basically been living in the woods his entire life because he ran away from his family in cleveland the details aren't really released they're pretty shady he gives a couple hints but basically it seems he was pretty mistreated and it seems he kind of acted up and didn't like the reception they gave him so he always found comfort in the forest and redwood trees in particular so he ran to the Redwood Forest and set up his cabin, and he, like, drinks the blood of animals and does crazy stuff there. So uh, <laughs> he, he's, he's lived on his own, and he doesn't like any human interaction. And uh, getting paired up with Jim, who is probably one of the most disrespectful people and uh, one of the most ignorant and impatient people is not a very good combo for someone that has been avoiding people for all these years. So that's kind of what creates the main conflict of the movie and what makes their interaction so intense and uh hopefully interesting so when you when you have all these characters i know you just mentioned you have like those five characters how do you develop a character can you walk me through that process of like deciding okay i want this character to have this characteristic that character to have that one so like what do you do yeah so i mean every movie doesn't have to have every character going through like an arc there can be some static characters obviously that are just in the background just saying a couple lines but this movie has such a small cast of characters that I kind of wanted them all to have at least a small arc if they're not having a big one but when you're making a character arc you want your character to start off with it can be a couple flaws but at least one major flaw that will hinder them at some point in, in life and when you start a movie in the first sequence we learn in film school that you're supposed to break films into sequences A through H so in sequence A, you kind of want to present the world that they're established in, they're already used to, before their world gets disrupted by some problem, which is obviously Jim getting swept down the river and in the hands of a maniac park ranger. But in sequence A, um, I have Jim kind of pulling a prank on this girl and throwing a a bucket of soap and water all over her <laughs> and just... Uh, I, I wanted to, yeah, and her grandma. <laughs> I wanted to be really funny, but also um, show that there's clearly a problem with this guy. That's uh, finding humor out of some grandma slipping on his uh, mess of soap and water that he's thrown over a parking lot. So, his biggest uh, flaw, I would say, for Jim is just 
not being able to mature and I'm, I kind of have the reasoning for that being he has really strict parents and he tries to find a way around what his parents have always, uh, they want him to act a different way. So he's always tried to rebel and he's succeeded so far in life. But I wanted to show with the story that it's not always going to work out like that in life and he's going to need to change if he wants to progress in some way. So. Yeah, I feel like um, you just said that he had like overprotective parents. I feel like in a lot of cases with not every case, obviously, but with some kids who have really overprotective parents, they sometimes want to do the exact opposite of what they want. Um, so, yeah, you can see that play out in the story that like something that happens all the time in life with kids who are just like kind of just go wild and like put it into the story. Yeah. So I'm, I'm lucky I didn't have overprotective parents, but this is definitely inspired by people I have seen with overprotective parents that do end up being pretty troublesome. And uh, it's I don't think it's any fault of their own, at least if it's as early in their life as Jim, but they're kind of just finding a way to get their own individual, their own individuality out there. And Jim really wants to show that he is a pretty intellectual individual. He's pretty cunning, but he's doing it in all the wrong ways. So throughout the film, Brutus is obviously, like I said earlier, he's the worst person that could be paired with Jim. And that's what you want to do in comedy. It's called like a thin line and a wavy line. One person is someone that should be blocking the person from getting their goals accomplished. And the other person should basically try in every method possible of getting their goals but failing because of the other person. And that's that's what Brutus is at the gym. He doesn't allow any of his goals to be completed the ways he wants. And it kind of gets Jim embarrassed in the process, close to death. He uh, What are the goals for Jim? For Jim? Um... The main goal for him personally in the movie is simply to escape and just to live. But the goal of his arc is to get him to realize that he doesn't need to act the way he does to show that he's an individual and he can be appreciative of his family and still be his own person that can be respectful to others and can uh, go into college and really the, the rest of the world without... Uh, his parents having to worry about him just being rude to people and uh, throwing water over everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in the original script, I didn't have his parents except in the beginning. But my professor suggested that I have the parents keep returning since they're kind of imp important to his arc of changing character and how he has to kind of accept his family before he can accept that he needs to change himself. So now I just want to shift to Brutus because we were just talking about Jim a lot. Um, so I know you mentioned that Jim, like he was he was pretty hammered when he was going down the river. And then when Brutus picked him up, um, they started getting into fights. Brutus was going after him. And, and then after, after Jim was tied to a stake, Brutus started explaining why he, he was acting that way. He explains that he detests his family and had given up on people a long time ago. And Jim, trying to be respectful for the first time in his life, asked Brutus if he ever attempted to leave the forest. Brutus was not happy with that comment, and then he kept going after Jim like he did before. So in this situation, why was Brutus like reacting in this way? Because really, all Jim was asking, he was trying to be respectful and just asking for clarification, and Brutus just reacted in that way and started going after him again. Well, Brutus felt comfortable speaking in this position like being uh kind of being less aggressive than earlier in this position because jim prior to being tied to a stake he jumped off of a 
cliff hoping to land into water, but he landed on some rocks. So he, he was unconscious, and Brutus tied him to a stake in front of a large fire. And basically Jim wakes up, and then that's when Jim, or that's when Brutus starts being respectful to Jim and just apologizing for being a bit aggressive. And I think the reason why he was comfortable is because he now has definite control over Jim, no matter how disrespectful he was earlier. He's like tied to a stake, can't really go anywhere. And Brutus doesn't have to worry about any lashing out or any really human opposition. He's kind of in control here and he can try to talk it out the best he is. And I think that's what he tries to do in this situation. And then once Jim asks about his family, why he never wanted to go back to Cleveland, I think that uh, Brutus took it kind of as an attack of like some human wanting to come back and be like, hey, why aren't you coming back to be with us? Like, why are you so different? Why are you so weird? And I think that's kind of what he took it as in his head. I, th I think he kind of tries to group all humans together as kind of this like kind of clan or this mob that want him to join and he he's just kind of rebelling against them and when Jim asked that I think it kind of it triggers that idea in his head and it it causes him to lash out in a rage and uh he basically gets a weapon that he tries to anally skewer Jim and hold him <laughs> over, hold him over a fire so fine choice of words yeah fine choice of words <laughs> Yeah, so that was very interesting when you were just talking about that because I feel like in life, that's very relatable because if someone says something that's like really little, I feel like it's not the like the big things that people always get upset about or angry at. It's those little things. It's like the straw that broke the camel's back. Those little like comments that might get people really insecure. There might be one thing that they're saying something that means one thing but we're interpreting another way because we're insecure about something in our life and that's kind of what brutus did in this situation so is that kind of what you were going for yeah and i i see what you mean exactly because when someone is insecure about something like even if someone is saying something that just kind of relates to that insecurity and it's not even meant as an attack like it could even just be like a a sentence of discussion like they're just like talking about it they can get mad because they're insecure about that thing and they don't like it being brought up at all because they just kind of want to keep it caged in. And I think that's kind of what happens with the Jim and Brutus situation, that Brutus never really wants to address it, but he knows it is a problem. And why do you think he... Because you said he gave up on the entire human race. He just didn't really have a, a belief in humans anymore. Yeah. Why did he do that when he just had a, a falling out with only his family? Yeah, so... Being a comedy script, it, it can be a bit more outrageous than if it was like a drama. Obviously, if it was, if it was a drama, I would delve more into that. But as a comedy, I kind of just wanted to leave it kind of ambiguous because in the end, like if, if you read the actual story, it's kind of just meant to be a funny idea that he would just leave all humans behind and just live <laughs> by himself. But if you were to analyze him as like an actual person, I feel like he got very wronged in his childhood and... Later in the story, it kind of revealed that he did something that his parents got upset with him for, but he um, he's forgiven at some point by his parents, indirectly by another character in the story. But I, I think he did something pretty bad, and his parents reacted pretty poorly to him, and I think that kind of scared him off, and maybe it affected his entire community, but even I don't know that, because I, I really didn't want to delve that too far into his past. I kind of just wanted him to change on his own from where he is right now because 
even Brutus himself, he's been in the forest so long that I think he's kind of forgetting his own past. So I didn't want to, if he doesn't even remember it, I didn't want to remember it either. Yeah, so you were just mentioning how Brutus didn't really want to be with anybody, any human beings, and he was feeling really alone. And I thought a situation that stood out to me was when Jim asked if he could go take it outside, uh, Brutus said sternly no, which can definitely come off as intimidating. You got this six seven beast just telling you no, um, and you're scared for your life. But as we learn later, as you just mentioned, he was actually just seeking any sort of connection. And I feel like in this situation, it might seem like he's being intimidating, but really he might just be worried that he's going to lose Jim, that if Jim goes outside, he's just going to run away forever and he's not going to have any company or anyone to be with. Um, so being able to say no to him was actually like a sense of security for him. And I think in today's society, people who, you know, might bully, you see like all like those classic like TV shows with like the middle school, like bullies or the high school bullies, they might seem really tough, but really they just want any sort of power in order to make themselves feel better by knocking other people down. And we see that in movies. So would you say that this was kind of the goal of this scene to to show Brutus as actually being kind of alone and he's he wants that human connection? So this scene is the first this is before the last scene we even discussed. Uh, this is the first scene in the movie you see Brutus. So I think after you see the whole movie, if you look back at that scene, that's how you're going to see it as. But in the in the first scene, if you just saw this one scene by itself, you would think he's pretty intimidating and scary. Because basically, uh, to give a little context, Jim has just been washed down the river. He's still kind of intoxicated. And he wakes up inside Brutus's little shack which is only lit lit up by a couple candles so it's kind of sketch in there already and then he's like uh he wakes up he's pretty intimidated by the huge six seven brutus and then jim asks if he can go to the bathroom kind of as a way to get outside and maybe escape and uh brutus says no like here's a bucket like <laughs> and then um, and he slips on his shirt or something yeah <laughs> and then he asks, can you go outside and then brutus asks him that he needs to stay inside if he wants to go the bathroom so jim has to do it inside right in front of brutus and it's <laughs> how demoralizing yeah it's pretty demoralizing which uh is kind of one of the starts of jim's character arc but um yeah for brutus if you're actually looking at like within him in this situation i think uh that is correct that he's um he's he's pretty alone and he does have control over jim or at least he thinks he does at the start of the situation which is why he feels even more comfortable in the tied to his stake situation because Jim literally can't move there. But Brutus like feels like Jim's in his in his I almost said apartment in his cabin, and he it's kind of his rules, it's his domain. So as long as he doesn't like go outside, he kind of feels comfortable talking to him at least at first. But since this is their first interaction, Jim's still intoxicated and he's really confused about where he is. Jim's kind of really rude to him and it ends up. Uh, Jim ends up, yeah, slipping on his own, and then um, Brutus ends up chasing him with an axe outside of the cabin. So uh, it, it, it gets pretty intense pretty quickly. So now if we can shift gears here a little bit. So if you can talk a little bit about, we're going to go, we're going to skip to the end of the story. I know I'm kind of giving, we're kind of giving it away, but what happens with Brutus and what happens with Jim at the end of the story? So skipping around, Jim basically ends up in this, barn in the middle of the forest inside of a pig pen and he's like with the pigs he's like covered in mud and he's like <laughs> he's trying to blend in with the pigs and yeah th that is a pretty big jump so 
um, I won't really explain how he got in that situation, but basically Brutus is after him. So Brutus comes into the barn. He starts counting up all the pigs, and the suspense is building because he he knows how many pigs he has. And and then the barn door swings open, and this character named Cornberry Billy. He's a beast. Yeah, he's he turns out to be Jim or not Jim's brother. He turns out to be Brutus's brother. Cornberry Billy was actually introduced in the beginning, and he was talking about how he lost his pigs. And then it kind of comes back because Jim is with the pigs right now, obviously, and Brutus is the one that has stolen them and built the barn kind of in the middle of the Redwood Forest. But, yeah, so it turns out that Cornberry Billy is uh, Brutus's long-lost brother from Cleveland, and he knew that his brother, like, loves Redwood trees for some reason. And he finds a lot of comfort in them, so he... Uh, figured he'd be in the Redwood Forest, so he went there. And then he heard a lot of rumors about local animals from farms being stolen, so he decided to set up his own farm, kind of to set bait for Brutus. And then um, basically it works, and Brutus ends up stealing his pigs. And he comes, finds his pigs, and then it, it turns out to be his brother. So he tells him that his parents love him and they miss him a lot, and that like they want him back in Cleveland, and that's basically what breaks Brutus down and makes him realize that like his whole like take on life has been wrong up to this point. Granted after this he does have a little outburst but it's kind of in a crazy situation so uh it's understandable in the context of the movie. But um basically the the biggest change in Brutus's character is that he learns that his family's been looking for him and that they they love him still even after whatever it was he did. And um Cornberry Billy, um, I really like that name. Is the <laughs> he, he's the one that kind of delivers that message to him and gives him a hug and like he 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 remembers what it's like to be a brother, what it's like to be loved. And so, if you were to let's say you continued like the story and Brutus is back in Cleveland with his family, how would you show that he's grown as a person? Well, he he'd probably go to a store or something and buy food instead of like hunting animals and eating them raw, you know. <laughs> he'd probably try to socialize with people i think it's going to be pretty tough for him to do at first i have i have in the outline of the script that you read i have um jim being like jim is concerned for the people of cleveland oh yeah <laughs> at the end of it but he lets it go or yeah something. He, he does let brutus go because he's so exhausted but hopefully that brutus won't act up too terribly but it's going to be a pretty hard journey because he's going to have to take a plane or a car or something and it's going to be a pretty tough for him to figure out but i'm sure he'll get to cleveland somehow and hopefully once he sees that his parents like appreciate him and they're happy he's back hopefully he'll be a little more tame yeah so i thought this conversation was really interesting considering rudis was hurt in the past like we saw that he his family whatever happened with his family he was hurt and he let the past hurts kind of dictate how he felt in the present moment, how he felt in the future. He decided to move to the forest and move away because of what happened in the past. And it made him miserable. It made him miserable in that moment and for future moments. And I feel like nowadays, I myself and I've seen my family members and sometimes my friends struggle with this. They let one event dictate not only that day, but the next day, the next day, the next month, the next year. And it just causes you to be miserable. And then what we don't realize is that we're like one conversation away. We're one thing away from something changing for us forever. And that's what happened with Brutus in this situation. 
he didn't think that Cornberry Billy would show up and say that he's his brother because, I mean, honestly, like, I didn't think that either. But that ultimately changed his life forever. So I just think it's really interesting that we get we dwell on all those things in our life, but really we're not as far gone as you might think we are. Yeah, I mean, I think that's spot on. I think that what causes a lot of, uh, we analyze a lot of character in screenwriting courses, and I think what causes a lot of character flaws is thinking too much in the past or sometimes the future, but I feel like it's mostly the past. And the characters that are the most well-off are the ones that just focus on the present and are like very present in the moment. Like recently I watched the Star Wars prequels and I thought a really good quote was <laughs> in, in the first one, episode one, Qui-Gon Jinn's like, a Jedi is always in the present Padawan. <laughs> but I thought that was a really good quote, especially in context of the situation because like um, it shows that to be the most powerful, like you got to be able to realize that the present is the only time that exists right now. And like the past has already happened. You can't do anything to change that, but you can always change the future. So you got to just focus on what's happening right now and just uh, try to be the best you, you can be in the circumstances that you are. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's not easy too. even when things are going well. Like how often do you think about like, oh, like I have this in a month. Like I'm really looking forward to that. But like you're not focusing on what's going on right now. It's not just like when things are going bad. It's also when things are going good. Yeah. The first half of like quarantine, I feel like myself and a lot of people focused on the past a lot more because they were like, I wanted to return to how it was before. And like a lot of people held that mindset for a couple like months probably a couple couple weeks for some couple months for others and maybe some still like are thinking like that but i feel like it's important to realize that the world kind of has changed already and we just got to stay in the present because eventually in the future it's going to return similar to the way it was before and it's going to be awesome but if we just dwell on that we're just going to be all upset that we're not living it right now and we just got to learn to appreciate every moment of what's happening right now during coronavirus so afterwards it's going to be even better you know i've talked to you a little bit about why i did this podcast but that's basically the gist of why i decided to do it it's just like i was dwelling on like everything like again we were having a great time last year like whaling left wing was an awesome time it was a it was a good time door open policy everything like that and now it's like we're here like we're sitting like you know, like watching TV and doing all that shit and we can't do anything else. Like it was depressing, but like, as you see, we don't know when things are going to go back to normal. So that's when I made that shift and it's still tough. I still struggle with that, but it's good knowing that we have the opportunity to change that. And who would you say, I didn't ask you this in the beginning, who would you say that is the most like you in this story? (laughs) Huh? I would say a lot of the characters take, like, personality traits from me. In a way, this is kind of weird. I feel like Jim was the most inspired by me, but honestly, I don't have overprotective parents, and I'm not, I wasn't a prankster. I was a pretty, like, respectful kid. I feel like people around me, like, it's kind of me envisioning what my life could have been if I, like, acted in a different way or, like, didn't really accept my parents or, like, my friends or anything. So I feel like it's kind of, like, an alternate universe of myself, but I, I do see myself in gym somehow. And obviously like that was a big theme in overcoming flaws in yourself and you all learning to establish lasting friendships, but you also have other themes in your stories. We're not going to go over the stories, but I think also 
whether it be learning how to handle yourself when you're on your own, growing comfortable with yourself, how have you experienced these themes in your life? Um, specifically during COVID, I feel like um, I, I've had to deal with myself a lot more because I feel like I was a very social person beforehand. So I was always talking to other people and doing other tasks. Like I was either in high school, I did swim team the whole time. I was like a very hard worker. I took very hard classes. So I was always just focused doing something. And COVID was kind of the first circumstance I had to like really step back and like kind of was forced to just like think about myself. Honestly, it was pretty weird at first, but now, yeah, I've gotten pretty comfortable um, be, being with less people every day, I guess. Obviously, I would like to see more, but that's going to change eventually. But if you learn to know yourself and you learn to think about yourself in the present, like we were talking about before, because if you're... Uh, a lot of people, I feel like, think about, like you said, like a past mistake or something they did in the past or the way they acted in the past, and they kind of force their personalities to be based around that. But I feel like, yeah, I've kind of learned to focus on the present. I feel like I did focus on the present before coronavirus, but like I said before, uh, in the first half, I was kind of focusing more on the past because it was such a kind of traumatizing experience that we all went through. But yeah, <laughs> I feel like I've gotten back and focusing on the present which is harder now than it was before because it still is kind of like that quarantine lifestyle, you know, it's not as busy. How do you focus on the present? Like what ways do you try and do that? Well, I used to, I, I mean, I would like to still work out, but I used to work out a lot. And, um, and that was kind of my way of just uh, not thinking about anything and focusing. But obviously the gyms in Los Angeles are closed. So I've had to get, work around other ways of doing that and running has been one of them which is a uh, love to hear it yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm still not a fan of running because like i've seen you working down at uh, playa vista we've yeah. run a couple times <laughs> um, the hike near have you done the hike under the lmu sign right there uh, yeah yeah i did that recently that was really fun i've uh i, I tried meditating a couple times that was pretty that was pretty cool pretty nice experience and it, yeah it does help you live in the present i remember you doing that last year so uh and Julia suggested I give it a try, so I did try. It was pretty help, helps me focus on the moment. Yeah, I just think the biggest problem was like it, it was hard to live in the moment if you're doing the same thing every day, and and also if the same thing is pretty pretty slow and pretty boring, exactly. which is kind of what we've been doing. I didn't find too much of a problem like that in regular life, so I am excited to return back after Corona because I feel like I'm gonna be stronger than even like before because. No matter the situation at all, I've been through the worst and I'll be able to focus on the present. Um, but also, I've tried to learn some cooking. Um, not the best at it, but I can put a couple things together now, which a year ago I couldn't little do. angel hair pasta? A little angel hair pasta, a little Anchorman <laughs> reference right there. But yeah, really just trying new tasks. Uh, watching watching TV, I, I mean, is kind of, it's kind of good, kind of bad, depending on what, how much you do it, you know? But tomorrow you and me are going on a big mammoth trip skiing yeah. for the first time yeah we're going, we're going to mammoth i'm i'm snowboarding and uh i'm gonna teach uh i'm gonna teach will over here how to snowboard so that's a fun way of kind of being in the present still in corona times but having a fun time making a little trip out of it because it is spring break next week for us so um, gotta live a little bit yeah exactly so i was just uh thinking of ways that we could do that and I am going to try to learn how to uh, surf soon. I got like a wetsuit and that kind of stuff. So really, I'm just taking advantage of 
what I can do and trying to learn new things and get the most out of it. So I come out of coronavirus uh, a better person, I feel like, just more ready to take anything on. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you said it before is that we're young enough. It's kind of nice that like we can look back like 10, 20, 30 years away and like be able to handle these situations because we learned how to do it. I mean, it's it's not great ideal that it's happening during college, but hey, it's going to make us a lot more grittier, a lot more stronger in the future. And you also mentioned Julia before. So I, and when I was talking about themes for your life and how it all connected, I know there was senior year of high school. Can you explain uh, that situation? <laughs> yeah, that was a situation I never thought I'd be in, but uh, I went to a UCLA summer camp over the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And um, I met my current girlfriend Julia there and uh, honestly like we, we kind of developed feelings for each other over like the two-week period and then we kind of left and she uh, <laughs> she lived in Brazil while I was in high school <laughs> and I lived in New Hampshire so it was kind of a shot in the dark you know um, as, as love does the people I decided I would kind of just do something crazy and like I would long distance date her which I did for my senior year um, and luckily, then it, it worked out, and uh, she goes to the same college as me somehow. Same dorm. <laughs> same dorm last year, and um, she lives up the street where Will lives this year. So I actually saw her this morning. So that was yeah, that was awesome. Um, but yeah, the senior year is kind of weird because you know in, in high school people are pretty judgmental and like rightfully so. I feel like they thought it was pretty weird that I was dating someone in Brazil <laughs> my senior year of high school, but. Um, I'm glad to see that it wasn't for that it wasn't like for nothing like in that and it worked out so um it, it it definitely that was probably the first like big test on my mental mental health I guess because it was I I never really I mean I'd probably been teased before but like not not like to the extent where like I knew it was happening like around me and like very often but I just kind of accepted it because I had to first make myself understand that it, it is an extremely strange situation <laughs> like if I was on the outside I would probably have the same feeling so I, I kind of understood why I was so weird and then also I was like I'm still doing so well like this is my best swim season my grades are great and I mean this is a little earlier on but I was like I, I just applied to all my colleges hopefully I'm gonna get in so everything ended up working out and it, it was kind of a big big hurdle that I overcame uh I'd say like October November was pretty rough because I just wasn't used to it but then after that I was like it was fine and then I got out to college and she was in the same dorm as me and yeah it's been awesome ever since so uh yeah and uh we're going like two two and a half years I think it is now so yeah uh, yeah awesome. that's that I, I literally like the first day of college when I met you yeah. he's like oh yeah, there's my girlfriend. I'm like, wait, what, what do you mean your girlfriend? And he's like waving at her and I'm like, wait, how do you already have a girlfriend? <laughs> and then he, he told me the story. I'm like, damn, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so can you talk a little bit about, cause you said like you made that shift where you started recognizing, okay, like this is a little like, you know, obviously if I were on the outside, I'd probably be like, this is weird. But like, was there a specific moment where it got like really frustrating? Like what were people kind of like saying and stuff like that where you, had to kind of come up for yourself and kind of come up with a solution to make it easier for you. I, I think it got started getting to me when like I realized like my friends and like even my parents were like kind of skeptical of like why I was doing it because 
at that point, I, I think they thought it would last like not too long, but it was like October, November of my senior year and it had been a couple months and I was still doing it. So I think they were like confused as to why I would do that. And I think a lot of their worry is like I would ruin my senior year by not being able to like experience a lot of the like the fun stuff that you can do in senior year, you know, like prom and all that stuff. Um, but I did end up going to prom with a friend and it, it, it was really fun. And I did make it to the whole year and like my friends like as at one I think once they got that like I, I was gonna keep dating Julia and like it, it was gonna be like a a long time thing I think they just kind of were like okay yeah I get it now and uh it, I think it was a perfectly understandable hurdle looking back at it but like I said like in in the like earlier when we we're talking about living in the present the past I'd always kind of felt like I lived in the present before that but like in that moment I I was like thinking back like oh like who what's this person saying about me what's this person saying about me you know like um but looking back at it right now I completely understand what everyone was thinking so <laughs> yeah yeah but it was just uh it, it was a very weird situation but it's a great situation now and I'm glad I did it and it made me a stronger person and then corona hit so I feel like uh I feel like I'm going to be a very strong person in my mid-20s, which is a good thing to get out of all these bad experiences, yeah. you know. And it was probably, like, such a relief when you found out, like, she was going to the school and you were going to the school. Like, what was uh, that like? So my dream schools were actually UCLA and USC. I didn't get accepted into either of them, but I, I would have gone to them. And then I was choosing between Chapman and LMU, and this was before she even got into them, so I was just deciding, and... I believe after USC and UCLA for her, LMU was her top one. She didn't apply to Chapman. And I ended up choosing LMU because I wanted to be in the city. Kind of a different experience from where I grew up, kind of in a suburban area. I feel like Chapman is in that more suburban area outside of LA. So I wanted to be inside of the city of Los Angeles. And that's where I could pursue my career the most as like a screenwriter and as like a creative person. So she ended up... Um, getting deferred from LMU so we thought she was gonna get denied and then I was at my grandparents in Sun Valley Idaho on a ski trip actually and it was like 4 a.m in the middle of the night and she calls me I'm like why why are you calling me so late she's <laughs> like well I got an LMU I'm gonna go there and it was awesome I was like whoa that's crazy we're going to the same school and I think it took me a while to process it, like I don't think I even processed it until I was like actually at school you know because until I like actually saw her I remember that. <laughs> there was um, there was a what what is it called? International, international. Yeah, international. Yeah, they they showed up to the college a week early, and they had to they had a bunch like huge itinerary planned, and they went to Disneyland one day. So I, I thought she was there the day that I flew in, but then she met me in the airport, and it was a huge surprise. And there's still a video of it. But it's a lot, I, I, I don't know if it's as cute as it seems because I'm just like so shocked. I'm so like jet lagged. I'm like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> why are you here? Because I didn't expect, I was not prepared to see her at all, especially after so long. Like, so that was, that was pretty crazy. But yeah, I, I'd say the the first like couple weeks at LMU like was awesome, but it, it was definitely really weird being in person. But now I feel like um, Corona definitely gave us another stupid half year of online dating which was pretty annoying to deal with because we thought we were all done with those but, but you already experienced it so <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 not definitely not as fun as real dating now that i've <laughs> the, like real dating is what i call it it's definitely not as fun as real dating once i'm uh 
once I've been here and I'm like, I've been dating her in person. Um, yeah. It's definitely a lot harder once you've been dating her in person. And then there's another virtual period. So I, I am kind of grateful that, I mean, I would have liked to just have dated her in person from the start, but I'm grateful that we had the virtual period first because I think it would have been a lot harder if we were dating like in person and then we had to do that. So yeah, I, ne- I never thought I would say I was great. I would, was grateful that would come first, but I kind of am. So yeah, that's a, now it's, that's such a good story. It's a good story to tell people like, just like yeah. how you like all both ended up at the the same school. She's from Brazil. You're from New Hampshire. Yeah. And this all goes back to like what I said about how like overcoming like struggles or, or learning who you are as a person. And that's what happened when you were going through those struggles early on in senior year, when people were like, what the hell are you doing and stuff like that. And it yeah. all worked out. Would you say back to writing, would you say that your life shapes your writing or that your writing shapes your life? Well, I would say for a writer period, it's both. I'd say it kind of trades off in different ways, but I'd say for me right now, my life shapes my writing sense. I'm not a full-time writer. Like I'm a college student. So I, most of my time, honestly, it's doing other stuff other than writing. There's other classes. Uh, obviously it's not, there's not like parties anymore, but like there's small hangouts and that kind of stuff. And I feel like just my, my real life, my interactions are kind of inspire my writing right now. But after college, if I pursue like a, a full-time writing job, I feel like then that would definitely be like my my writing inspires my life because I, I'm literally doing it for a living and the characters I come up with, I feel like they'll become a part of me, you know, once I become so dedicated to them that I work on them for weeks and months. So like, would you say, what would be an interaction or an experience in your life that would drive that like theme in your writing? Well, the interaction that drove S'more script that I just uh, shared was um, probably... Or no, it was definitely my my senior summer before between senior year and freshman year of college. I feel like that was probably like the best time of my life. My friends from New Hampshire are awesome. We have a group chat called the ASAPs, and we still talk like almost daily in there. But that was like the best period ever because it was kind of no responsibilities at all. Like no matter what happened in our future in college, like we can just enjoy the summer, and um, that was like the epitome of like living in the present like what we were talking about earlier and I feel like we just had so many fun memories that we did over that summer and also I was so close to like seeing Julia discussing like what we were just talking about so everything was just culminating so well like together that I know that after like I've told lots of people but I think from my experience with Julia and like the end of high school and all that stuff like after coronavirus is going to be some of the best times of our lives because we're going to really appreciate life for what it is. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun memories that we're going to do. What you were saying about your senior year, like yeah. with my friends, I was like great because we had such a good friend group. You just graduated high school. You had prom, you had all those fun things, but you also have all this stuff to look forward to, like going to a new place, me and you, New Hampshire, Connecticut, um, you know, the East Coast, a lot different from the West Coast. So like having that, being able to look forward to that was unbelievable. And for all you people who might be like seniors in high school or still in high school, just know that it gets a lot better. All this COVID stuff, it's going to get better. And what I want to ask you, Will, is how is this last year with COVID, you know, the elections, all that, the, like canceling all this stuff, 
How are you drawing from these experiences now in your writing or how will you draw from it in your future, all the emotions that are being experienced right now? I think the explanation for all the really aggressive like opinion sharing and opinion bashing on social media is a result of like 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 we were talking about way earlier like people like in their insecurities they really don't like the position they're in right now and they they see the best outlet of doing that is to like bash other people for he said this like 20 years ago or like this happened or that happened i i feel like that's that just was gonna come with covid naturally so in the past year yeah the cancel culture and everything it's gotten pretty aggressive because people um like we were talking about way earlier with their insecurities i feel like there's a lot of uh people that really don't like the position they're in right now and they see the best way is like lashing out on others or attacking others would be like because you you believe this like you should be attacked like everyone attack them i, I feel like there's a, a lot of attack and defend on social media when it's really like we shouldn't be fighting each other we should just be like getting through this together and I think people have realized that over time. I've seen a lot of more positivity over social media, which has been good to see. But I don't really think I want to draw too much from this time period, at least in the next couple of years in my writing, because kind of I think it's going to be looked at as pretty negative in the next couple of years. But as we get down the road, I think we'll see the positives of it. And then that's probably when I would start writing about it, because I'll be able to I'll be able to see how it reflected into my life afterwards a lot better a couple more years down the line. I've, I've been looking at social media less because I feel like your life is a lot more fulfilled when you're just like living off your own opinions and not reading exactly what other people are saying and why they need you to say this and that. I feel like it just it helps keep your head straight when you're just uh, uh, focusing on what you need to do, what your tasks should be. And I, I still think social media is great. I still have a lot of social media. I don't have TikTok though, but... <laughs> Uh, I, I just check it way less because I felt like, especially in the, the first half of quarantine, I keep going back to that, but when it was uh, pretty rough because the world was in a, such a strange situation, I feel like I was on social media all the time because that's what I would do to distract myself, and then I kind of got absorbed in it. So, yeah, I've just been on it less. Uh, I'm going to definitely draw from my experiences here, but probably for not the next couple of years because right after corona, we're going to want to, have a really just fun period and I feel like that's going to be a period for just a lot of the just fun scripts and just lighthearted stuff um, before we kind of deal with how this dark period uh, shifted our lives forward. I think also I haven't really gone on social media a lot either because I feel like when we're all inside as I've mentioned before you can kind of do your own schedule. You can make, if you want to go on social media for eight hours, you can. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, is social media is so comparison driven. When you're looking, you're constantly scrolling through like feed, you're looking at what everyone else is doing and not looking at what you're doing. And I feel like that's a big issue right now. And I feel like that could definitely be like something, as you mentioned in your script is like how like people have kind of overcome that and like the positive ends of it like obviously experiencing those struggles experiencing comparison and anger and those are themes and different flaws that you've mentioned in your other scripts but having that positive twist on it because ultimately we're gonna get out of this it's not gonna be going forever because it might seem like it now but soon enough soon enough and i don't want to keep you for too much longer will but do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to give to the listeners anybody let's say who might be interested in pursuing screenwriting or just about life in general, 
Uh, anything you have to say? Well, anyone that wants to pursue a career in screenwriting or any just film career in general, I feel like if you're in high school, just keep practicing whatever it is you're doing. <clears throat> you should have fun doing it. It shouldn't be like, it shouldn't feel like you're getting this assignment done like for a teacher, you know, it should just be something that comes organically and it feels like you're writing what's in your brain on a paper because that's what's going to get the best results. You know, what my professor says right now is like, people that think too hard on an idea are usually like those are the worst ideas and when an idea like just naturally comes out and it doesn't take too long to write and then you just share it that's usually what's the best because it just comes straight from your brain and like um, what's inside you really so I, I would just say write what you want to write about you're in such a great position to write about it um, right now because you don't really have as many responsibilities as you will later in life and you don't really have the deadlines or schedules for that kind of writing so just be creative, enjoy what you do, and if you're not a writer, if you just want to do something else, just enjoy whatever it is you're doing and make the most of it. Work hard, but still have a fun time doing it. And with Corona, like Will said, we're all going to get through it. Uh, time's going to get better, and we're going to have a lot of fun. So keep your sights forward, but stay in the present, like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in <laughs> episode one. Of course. And Thanks for having me, Will. It was great. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Thanks for joining me, Will. It's been really cool just being able to see how all these different aspects are of our life. Again, you don't need to be a shrink to, to be on this show or like talk to me about this stuff. It, it's a wide variety. There's psychology and writing and just learning the different character dynamics it was really great to experience and talk with you about, Will. And uh, for anybody who wants to maybe reach out to you or get more information on what you do and how they can learn more, uh, where could they reach you? So on Instagram, you can reach me at willz603. I've changed that since so early on in high school, but it's a pretty funny username, I feel like. And then uh, my email is willzimmerman, Z-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N, that's how you spell it, 86 at Gmail. So willzimmerman86. Yeah, so thank you for having me. It was great. And I hope to hear from you guys soon. Thank you, Will. And uh, lastly, guys, again, my Instagram, uh, my personal is WJG23. And then also for the podcast is 19-year-old shrink podcast on Instagram. Um, but thanks, guys. I know you guys hope you took a lot away from this and uh, have a great rest of your day. Take care.